Is this the game that we're playing now? You're disinterested and I'm crazy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Gem Junkie. No, that was too hard. Whoa. You should see the spike. I came on a little hot. Okay. Welcome to the next installment of Gem Junkies. I'm Brecken. And I'm Jonathan. And we are here today to talk about Fancy Sapphire. Yeah, yeah last week was the uh, Big Blue. And this week we're going to go a little bit uh, further and go into uh, Fancy Sapphires. Yep, so we're going to explore, explore the world of color a little bit longer. But first, we got a message. We did. We got a message from Jen. Her name is Jen. Hi, Jen. She says, hi, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. Thank you very much. I am working to become a fine jewelry designer. I will be taking metalsmithing classes in the fall. I've wanted to go to the GIA so I can learn everything about gemstones. I think it's very expensive. Is it worth the money? Do you recommend it or recommend alternatives? Uh, I would highly recommend uh, the Gemological Institute of America, GIA. Uh, they do a great job of training. It isn't cheap, but there are scholarships available. So yeah, there's something. a lot of scholarships available, especially where you're a woman. You might want to look at the Women's Jewelry Association. Yeah, the WGA does a uh, scholarship, and so I would definitely look at um, applying. But it's definitely worthwhile because it's uh, not only the well, the most well-known industry title is a graduate gemologist, but it also gives you a good foundation to really understand uh, the gemstones that you will be. Uh, yeah, they're the authority, yeah. right? Especially in the United States, they are the authority GIA. Yes. So it 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 adds credibility Absolutely. to you as a jewelry designer to be able to tell your customers this is what it is. I know my stuff. I've got the little GG behind my name on my business card. Yep. But thank you so much for your question. We love questions from our listeners, and we expect more next week. We better have some. (laughs) Jonathan and I are just tired of sitting here staring at each other. We want to interact with the outside world. (laughs) Maybe we'll get a guest one of these days. One of these days. We'll have to have a guest come. Yeah. So fancy sapphire. (laughs) Fancy sapphire. My favorite kind of sapphire. Yeah. I think so. I don't know. I do like blue sapphire. Yeah. But they're more interesting. It's something different. It's something that people haven't seen every day. Yeah. It's a good alternative to fancy diamond, since we all know fancy diamonds are crazy expensive. Crazy. Um, They are colored by the same thing that colors ruby and sapphire, which are chromium for sapphire. Or, sorry. Chromium for ruby. Mm. And titanium, titanium and iron for iron. sapphire. Yeah. So titanium gives you that blue color. Iron gives you a yellow color. And chromium gives you the red color. So there's your primary colors right there. And any combination of those will give you any color. You so can basically in sapphire, you get every color of the rainbow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there isn't any color that sapphire doesn't come in. Right? No. And so obviously the value of a fancy sapphire is based on its color. Yeah. 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 So the, the stronger the color, the 
the better, unless, you know, you're, someone's looking for something pale or something, uh, pastel, then it's less expensive. Yeah. The thing I found interesting is vivid fancies were super popular. When did we do the rainbow sapphire ring? Mm, late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. They were, the vivid fancies were very popular then, Yeah, but now I think more pastel fancy colors. Yeah. Pastels have been really hot, uh, especially pad parasha. Should yep. we talk about pad parasha? Yeah, that's the number one most valuable fancy sapphire. And it's so fancy. What does Pad Parasha mean? Oh, you know, we all know this, right? Lotus flower. It's how we named Lotus Garnet. In Sanskrit. In Sinhalese. Sinhalese. Which is? What they speak in Sri Lanka. Yeah. So the name is derived from the Sanskrit Padmaringa. Whoa. Which Padma is lotus and Renga is color. Lotus color. So like, what color is a Padprasha sapphire? Peach. Yeah, or it's... orangey, pink to I think it's a orange. hard color to describe. It's colored by chromium and iron, so you've got the red and the yellow mixing to give you a peachy color. Some people call it salmon. Some people call it sunset. Some people call it the fresh, the flesh of a ripe guava. Oh, okay. <laughs> that color. But they, they like it to be intensely saturated. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, pinkish orange to orangey pink. Yep. And they are predominantly from Sri Lanka. In fact, a lot of people, if the stone doesn't come from Sri Lanka, they won't call it a pad parasha. Pad parasha. Pad parasha. Um, but there are some found in Madagascar. East Africa. Yeah. Madagascar. So Vietnam. Mm. Okay. Uh, so after after Pad Parasha, probably the most well known fancy sapphire is pink. Pink sapphire, and probably the second most valuable when it comes to yeah. value valuing fancy sapphires. Light pink, pink, dark pink. Yep, and it's so it's colored by chromium, which is the same thing that colors ruby. And yeah. as we talked about with ruby, a lot of the world considers a pink sapphire yeah. a ruby. And in the U.S., the the most valuable pink is probably the bubble. What they call bubblegum pink. Bubblegum pink. Vivid. A vivid bubblegum pink is considered the very best of pink sapphires. Yeah, the thing too about fancy sapphires is it's not a. It's not a traditional gemstone. They're not traditional gemstones. So you're really at the whim of the designers and whatever the fashion world is saying. So if hot pink is really fashionable one year and pastel pink is really fashionable the next, it can really dictate your price on your fancy colored sapphires. Right. Uh, I think if we go down probably the color scale, but maybe not the value scale... The next color would be purple. Purple, yeah. Because it, it's colored by all three, chromium, titanium, and iron. Right. But it's a victim of that well-known gemstone, amethyst. Right. It uh, has. It doesn't have... Uh, sapphire doesn't have a high refractive index, so you don't get like a lot more sparkle than amethyst. Mm-hmm. And so you get... Uh, it, it gets confused often. Obviously, it's harder. Yeah, it's harder on the most scale. On the most scale, but at the same time, it still is just purple. Purple, and it's much more expensive than an amethyst. Much. So a lot of people will go for the less expensive alternative, 
And so there goes the way of the purple sapphire. But what's been pretty hot recently is yellow. And I think mm-hmm. that's based off of yellow diamond as an alternative is the yellow sapphire. Yeah, my sister has a yellow sapphire in her engagement ring. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Round. And nobody has to know it's not a yellow diamond. No, but it's beautiful as a sapphire in its own right. True. Everything doesn't have to be diamond, Jonathan. Right. <laughs> so the yellow yellow sapphire is colored by iron and chromium. Right. The more chromium, the more you get into the orangey colors. Right. Or it's uh, pad parasha. Yeah, but, yeah. Or just straight orange. Yeah, which, no, well, pinkish orange. Pinkish orange. So that'd be pad parasha. See, this is why fancy sapphires are so complicated. Nobody can agree on the color. Like, what is a pad parasha sapphire? It's so flexible. Yeah. Um. So yellow and orange are frequent, frequently heated. Yes. And sometimes diffused. Often diffused. Often diffused. Um, Diffusion, if you remember, is where they add elements like beryllium while heating, and it permeates the top layer of the stone and gives you a more vivid color. What about green? Yeah, green. I have... Green is on the next page. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I moved on. Before you turned your face. I was like, you guys are killing me today. So green sapphire is probably the outcast of the sapphire world. What do you say? Yeah. Nobody, it's plentiful, but there's no demand. Well, most of it's being, a lot, a lot of it's being heated, right? To get, yeah, so get to a, a blue. Of, yes. So a lot of it's being heated and naturally it's like a khaki or an olive green color. Yeah. It's most of the greens that I've seen are not that pretty. I don't want to wear it khaki colored gemstone it's savannah's favorite color i'm sorry we'll, we'll get you one they're not very expensive <laughs> but you gotta find it before it's heated yeah which is i mean you can find them out there sure. a lot of them have a lot of them are very low saturation so they have that brown undertone to it yeah uh and it's also a victim of a few other gemstones which would be emerald tourmalines and garnets which have really beautiful vivid greens so a lot of people don't look to sapphire for green yeah Yeah. why bother yeah poor sapphire no so then moving on from the green sapphire moving on from the different colors then you get into the phenomenal phenomenal corundum what does phenomenal mean jonathan that it's fantastic it is it is fantastic it means that it has Interesting characteristics, like it, colors change, asterism, chatoyancy. Labradorescence. Labradorescence, play of color in opal. We've kind of touched on phenomenal gems a little bit here and there, mostly with opal, which has play of color. But there's a whole list of different phenomenons that gems can present. And in sapphire, you see two. You see color change and asterism. Do you want to explain color change? Sure. Color change is there's there's color shift and then there's a true color change. And a color change is where a uh, a single gemstone exhibits different colors in different light, but you actually have to go from you have to cross the primary color range for it to consider color change versus right. a color shift, which is just 
a change in color, but within the same. Right. So I like to think of it. It has to go from like a blue to a purple, which has a lot of red undertones or a red to a green in the, uh, like Alexandrite does. It has to be a strong color change, a color shift. We see it a lot sometimes in our Lotus Garnet where depending on the light, it'll shift, but it always has an undertone of pink. So it's not changing to a different color. It's just shifting a little bit. And it's based on daylight, which we typically call your fluorescent light or incandescent light, evening light. So they used to say with an Alexandrite, it was a ruby by day, emerald by night kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, color change sapphire goes from a blue or a violety blue to a reddish purple. Yeah. And that can even be sometimes a really close, where do you draw the line between shift and color change there? Right. Right. And you can also go from a green, gray, green in daylight to a pink or reddish violet in incandescent mm-hmm. light. So you get a lot of different color changes in, in sapphire since it does come in every color of the rainbow. Yeah. So that strength of color change is the most important when determining value. Definitely. And do you know what trace element causes the color change? I don't. It's vanadium. Is it really? It is. It's vanadium and it's really rare where sapphires grow which makes color change sapphires incredibly rare. I actually haven't seen a ton on the market at all. No, you don't see them that often. And they're really hard to find. So sometimes we have customer requests for color change sapphires, and they're almost impossible to find because a lot of people think in terms of diamond, like they can go and you can just order up whatever diamond you want. I want a one carat G color, SI2, and it should cost this much. Go find it. You can find it. But when you get into the world of color, especially phenomenal color, you can't easily order up a color change sapphire. I want it to change like this, and I want it to be this carat weight and this shape and these measurements. Yeah. Good luck. You're kind of at the mercy of the gemstone. We call them unicorns. Yeah. Unicorn stones. We get calls for unicorns every day. No, yeah. Every day. But sometimes we find unicorns. Sometimes. Sometimes it's kind of fun to find a unicorn, but that's what we call it when we get one that's We're looking difficult. for a unicorn. Yeah, we're looking for a we're unicorn. We're looking for a unicorn. All right, the next phenomenon that corundum can display is... Asterism. And so asterism is caused by reflections of tiny needle-like inclusions, but they have to be oriented in just the right way. Asterism is also known as star. A star. So a yes. star sapphire, for those of you that don't know what asterism is, we probably should explain that. Yeah, okay. It's- so it's a star, and it's caused by tiny needle-like inclusions Yes. that have to be oriented exactly the right way yeah. for you to get a star. And usually you get a six-rate star in sapphire, correct? Yeah, so there you can get four, six, or 12 rays. But six is the most common. Six is the most common. Um, side note on the 12 race star. Side note. Side note, which is really cool. It's caused by two different kinds of inclusions. So you have your rutile needles and hematite needles, and they're oriented just slightly different. So everything has to fall into place perfectly in order for you to get 12 rays. Yeah, it's usually forms as a result of twinning. Mm-hmm, like a twinned crystal. Like a twinned crystal. Which is where the crystal changes 
its growth structure mid-formation. Mid-formation. Mm-hmm. Um, did well, you so. know there's a there's a trick for determining if a piece of rough will show asterism? Really? You put a little droplet of water on it, and okay. it forms that dome, and you can see the star on that. So it it helps. Yeah, it's clever. It helps cutters when they're going to orient orient. stone to see which way is going to give you the best star. (laughs) A lot of a lot of uh, cutters have to decide between fastening it and calving. So you heat. You can heat treat. I hate that word. So a lot of people. uh, A lot of stone cutters have to decide whether or not to heat treat a gem, a sapphire, to facet it. Because if you heat treat a stone, you can clear up some of the silk. But if you heat treat it, you'll and it's a star, it'll go... The star will go away. Will go away. So they have to decide if it is a strong enough star that's worthy enough to be a star sapphire that will get a higher price than just heating it, clearing up the silk, and faceting the stone. No. The one thing that I I like is um, black star sapphire. Yeah, which has the there's the the black star of Queensland, which is the second largest gem quality star sapphire in the world and weighs seven hundred and thirty three carats. Just a little thing. Yeah, but the largest star sapphire in the world is actually a blue star sapphire called the Star of Adam. And it weighs one thousand four hundred and four point four nine carats. Yeah, so these things can get really big. Big. Really big. Yeah, much and bigger, I think, than faceted because it doesn't right. have to be clean. Yeah, it doesn't have to. It can have a lot of inclusions in it and still be totally acceptable. But I like um, black star sapphires because they were mined where we would always go visit in Thailand in Chanterbury. Yeah, a lot of black with golden. Mm-hmm, golden stars. Yeah. And they love them in Thailand because the king's color is yellow. Right. So a black star sapphire had great significance to them. And what causes a gold star? Hematite. Yeah, platelets. Platelets of hematite. Mm-hmm. So actually the base color of the gemstone is yellow, but the hematite makes it look black. That's why you get the yellow star on a black-looking stone. Cool, huh? Very cool. Side note. Side note. Side note from Brecken. Uh, last week, we talked about adding asterism through treatment, through heat treatment. Do you remember that? Yes. And you asked me, how do they do that? How do they do that? I have the answer. Great. So it's a form of lattice diffusion. So think of it as one step past heating where they're adding elements in. They pack... Iron and titanium oxides around the stone, they heat them for a really long time. Really hot. Really hot. And they follow that by slow, controlled cooling. So they don't just shut the ovens off and let it cool itself off. They control that. And what happens is the titanium and oxygen combine to make a shallow layer of rutile needles on top. And then you get star sapphire. It's rarely done. The problem being, it's just a really shallow layer, which is a really shallow layer of rutile. So if you ever have to repolish the stone, it's gone. 
Bye-bye. Bye, Star. Bye, Felicia. That was for my brother. <laughs> I think we should talk about how to value a star, because we've kind of talked about a star, but not what makes a good star. Crispness of the star. Right, so it has to be distinct. It needs to be in the center of the gemstone and visible from arm's length. So think about if you've got it on your hand and you want to take a look at it, you want to be able to see the star from an arm length away. But you do have to have a pretty close direct source of light yeah, to you be have to able to see it. So you'll just have to carry around a little flashlight to show everybody. Or out in the sun. Or out in the sun. Out in the sun. The sun is a great direct source of light. Fuzzy stars are bad. If it's not crisp, if it's fuzzy, it's not a good star. I wanted a star ruby. I still want a star ruby. One day. One day I'll get there. Star ruby is interesting because it is a ruby category that the Americans deem acceptable to have purple or pink in that category. Only for star ruby. So your star ruby ranges from purple, red, pink. That's a star ruby. For sure. Oh, show. But I want a red, red one. Red, red. When you judge a star, you have to judge the crispness of the star. You have to judge the cut of the cabochon to make sure it's symmetrical. It doesn't have too much extra weight underneath. And the color, of course. It's a colored gemstone. So red is the most valuable, hence why I want a star ruby. Um, the color has to be an attractive color, so not too saturated or undersaturated. We don't like grays in, in our stars. And it needs to be semi-transparent to translucent. Opaque stones are not as desirable. Right, because they don't have that nice color glow. Yeah. yeah. Now, Star Corundum was known as the gentleman's gem. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? I did. It's a masculine stone, I guess. Yeah. It was used a lot in men's jewelry back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, which led to the development of the Lindy Star which is the first synthetic star sapphire. Is a Lindy synthetic sapphire? It is. Yeah, it is. Okay. Flame Fusion. Hmm. Flame Fusion. It was developed by Union Carbide's Lindy Division, hence the name Lindy Star, and it was discovered in 1947. It's a long time ago. It was a long time ago, so you see it a lot. You see a lot of Lindy stars in men's rings from the 50s and 60s. I think everyone's grandpa had a Lindy star sapphire. I got a bunch of Lindy stars. We have a bunch of Lindy stars. Loose. Yeah, green. We have a really cool green one. Mm -hmm. It came in every color, the Lindy star sapphire. Any color. Any color. Um, but they've been making synthetic corundum since the early 20th century, there's a few different methods, flame fusion, hydrothermal. Some are more expensive, some are less expensive. Like we said with emerald, it's super easy to tell with a trained eye what's synthetic and what's not. They're huge. They're very important in the tech world. Colorless sapphire is, you have a lot of synthetic colorless sapphire because it's used for everything from watch crystals to... In electronics and all kinds of different, all kinds of different things. Quartz, which is dust, is right. a seven. Right. So if you had a sapphire crystal, 
screen on your iPhone, you want to get so many scratches. Very true. A lot of your watch faces are. Yeah, a lot of your your high end your higher end watches. Most of that is that it's a sapphire crystal, which makes it a lot better, and it's also used in all kinds of other technical stuff. So they've been creating synthetic sapphires since the early 1900s. 1902, as Jonathan said. In 1902, the French chemist. Okay. <laughs> since 1902, when I worked in a jewelry store, I would see a lot of people come in with like a family heirloom that was grandma's ruby ring that we would have to tell them was a synthetic ruby and they would say it's not possible. But they've been creating synthetics for over 100 years now. The very first laser was made with a rod of synthetic ruby. Is that why it gives it the red color? Mm. Really? Titanium sapphire lasers are popular due to their relatively rare capacity to be tuned to various wavelengths in the red and near infrared region of the electromagnetic spectrum. Yeah, so don't shine them in your eyes. Correct. The end is near. Don't say. No? No. So I face. No. My final curtain. No? Okay, we won't do that then. This isn't a singing podcast. We want to thank you for joining us. For another episode of... Fun-filled week. Gem Junkies. Gem gem Junkies. Uh, You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play. We've kind of covered all our bases. I think we're going to be on Spotify soon. You can also check out what we do on a day-to-day basis and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Parlay Gems. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening. You're just like a switch. I know. It's like um, show Brecken versus real oh. Brecken. Like trade show Brecken is like happy and nice to people. Zing. It's like <laughs> the mask. Like you like, like put it on and take it off. Don't talk to me. Just don't. Just. The mask. Don't. Yeah. The mask. All right. Okay. <laughs>